the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Holy Week, and then should tithes be required on church staff? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. Aubrey, it's usually me welcoming you back from vacation, but now it is reversed. It's good to be back. Welcome back. We're glad to have you. I was, uh, we'll we'll probably grind some gears later and I'll complain about your vacation photos, but I, I saw them and I was jealous, but happy for you at the same time. Yeah, it was good. As people who listen to the show regularly know, uh, my schedule gets somewhat dominated by my son's baseball, high school baseball schedule. And so my wife and daughter were in Florida for like eight days. Woo, baby. That's my the son dream. and I went down for like three days, three and a half, which was great. It was the plan. We did the beach. We did everything, the pool, lots of pool time, lots of sunburn and all that stuff. But as is the case with Chicago, we had to come back for his high school baseball games. And then three of the four games got rained out. Oh, so sad. (laughs) So sad. And if only you would have known, you could have stayed in Florida. (laughs) So true. And it was totally fine because we expected we were prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. But I told him on the plane, I said, you better be ready. Like, don't, you know, you have to go back and they're going to get rained out and we'll figure out so we Saturday we got up and we're like let's go to Wrigley. So we went and sat at that free, freezing cold game on Saturday. It was fun. Oh, you did! Oh, that's fun. Wow, it that's dedication really to baseball right there. Well, cheap seats because all these people are oh, trying to sell these seats sure. because it was football weather. Yeah. So we we got into Wrigley for like twenty bucks a seat, and that's it was, awesome. Uh, and then I'm the one who gets on a uh, uh, you know spot hero. And near Wrigley, it's like 50 bucks to park or 80 bucks oh. or whatever. And I park, I, I found a spot like a mile away for 20. <laughs> and I'm like, buddy, we're walking. You did not. We're earning I these did. tickets. We're earning them. <laughs> he knows it too. He knows like, oh, dad, I totally get it. <laughs> I'm such a sucker him. for convenience that I am that I am that person who gets like, they're like, oh, do you want to pay $20 extra for preferred parking? I'm like, done. Do you want to pay, you know, whatever, $50 extra for, yes, I will do. I, it's bad. I mean, I don't know if it's bad. It it definitely is a waste of money and probably spoiling my family, but I am such a sucker for preferred parking and a convenient life. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I am cheap that way. So when I get on spot here, I'm like, how far can I go to reach the $20 late without it like needing to get a cab? Right, right, right. Even like at the airport, you know, Kevin will pay. Let's say we're at Midway. Kevin will pay for the cheap, like seven bucks. You get on the bus. You go to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, we're paying $170 and I'm walking right in. (laughs) He's like, absolutely not. We will not pay that much money to park. <laughs> and that's why there's two people in a marriage. That's so right. Try to right. work things out. 
So it is good to be back. Kids are kind of back in school. Or you told me you you didn't even realize Ish, your high I know, school this was, was still so on spring break. Weird. So earlier this morning, we're getting our other kids up for school, our our middle schooler and our elementary school. And my oldest high school son is just like not waking up, not waking up, not waking up. And I'm thinking maybe he has a late start, you know. And I go to wake him up, and he's like, "Mom, I don't have school today. He's still on spring break." I'm like, it's "Crazy." Are you lying? Is this true? Is this? And then tomorrow, because of the election, I think all of our kids are on e-learning. Friday, they're off, which I appreciate. I mean, I don't think they can technically say it's for Good Friday, but I appreciate that it is observing Good Friday. Uh, And yet, I'm also like, okay, they either send them to school or give them the break. This is too ridiculous at this point. I told you my middle schooler has school today, off tomorrow, so not e-learning. So who's people who went off? People who went to Mexico or somewhere for spring break clearly just kept it through Tuesday. 100% they did. She has school today, off tomorrow, two days of standardized testing, off Friday. Off Friday. What are we doing? What What are we doing? so silly. It's so This is where the homeschoolers in our life are just like, see? See, this is why we made the choice we made. We're better than all of you. (laughs) Okay, but most importantly about this week, it's Holy Week. Easter it's is coming. It's Holy Week. For us pastors, this feels like the Super Bowl week. Easter's like, it's coming. Just... By the way, <laughs> I I totally neglected because I was on vacation. Uh, I meant to send you a screenshot from one of our conversations two weeks ago. Somebody wrote a whole article about all the churches helicopter dropping their <laughs> No, <Easter> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, no way. There it is. Oh. Uh, but it is Holy Week, so it kicked off really yesterday with Palm Sunday. Many people would say it kicked off way back in Lent and Ash Wednesday, but really in earnest with Palm Sunday yesterday, and then you've got Good Friday coming up on Friday, mm-hmm. and then Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday, and uh, d- depending on how liturgical you are out there, there's probably stuff every Yeah, day. there's and probably so- all kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> It is true. So how are you feeling about Holy Week? When you get up to, you know, Palm Sunday or you get up to, and it's like, all right, it's Easter week. What 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 are, what are the feelings of, of an Aubrey Sampson when Holy Week rolls around? I got to be honest. This morning I was like, oh, man, it's Holy Week. I got to like, <laughs> oh, I got to like tell my kids we got to do something as a family. Is our church doing? Like, I feel very behind this year on Holy Week, like not totally prepared. Now, I will say people who are better than me are prepared. Like our church puts out this uh, stations of the cross devotion for the past couple of weeks. We have a joint um, good Friday service with renew church and the prodigal network, a few other little church plants. It's going to be fantastic. Kevin and I attended last year, but this year we're actually going to partner together. Oh, nice! And then we're going to have two services, which I know you guys are too, which is going to be really, really fun. So there are people more prepared than me making all of this happen. And I'm very grateful for them. I now I just got to get my heart right. Have you at least bought khaki pants for your sons? So thank you for saying that. I woke up this morning also in a panic because I don't think we have khaki pants that fit. And I was like, oh, I got to get to Target and get the khaki pants and the button up. So we're <laughs> on, it's on my to-do list for the week. So I don't know if you guys did anything yesterday, but we do. I do do a Palm Sunday message. We got palms for the kids. They came nice. in waving them. Nice. Uh, made a joke about how when I was a kid, that just was like those turned in from worship to then whipping tools for, <laughs> for all the boys. Right, right. Uh, but it was Palm Sunday is such a great reminder of mm-hmm. how weird that first triumphal entry must have been. I Jesus know. crying on a donkey, I the people know. proclaiming him king. Uh, it must have just been 
such an odd thing. But I do love, and I didn't really know this until a, a couple years ago. I never really heard it, that in the book of Revelation, the famously every tongue, tribe, and nation will be around mm-hmm. the throne of God. It says waving palm branches. Oh, cool. Oh, I love that. Waving palm branches going, this is our king. I I always kind of skated through Palm Sunday, but now I love it. I I kind of feel like it prepares us for the absurdity of the week, but also Jesus is king, even though other people couldn't recognize it. Yeah, I, I actually preached on Palm Sunday yesterday, and I love looking at even the historical stuff like Zechariah 9-9 proclaiming yeah. that the king would come riding in on a donkey colt and first Kings giving us an example of Solomon riding in on a donkey colt and people waving those palm branches. And so there is this like this strange paradox of Jesus being king period, even though not everyone could see it, like you said, but also this humble king, like we know he's riding and weeping. He's riding into his death. Like what mm-hmm. a strange, what a strange savior you know and yet so so good when you when you think about wow i jesus knew that he was on his way to die and that's where his ultimate authority would come from his death and then ultimately his resurrection so it it, it is good to reflect on this because i you say this brian a lot and i i remind myself of this are we people for whom the good news has become old news and i think Mm -hmm. it so easily can be and so i feel like easter is almost a reset in the church calendar like okay okay, this is a good story. We That's worship right. a good God. Like, you know, let's remember these things. You, I know we have a lot of pastors who listen. You did touch on this, that Easter also can be about, you said I have to prepare my own heart for it. Like I have to get prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You kind of said it tongue in cheek, but it can be like, how are we going to get visitors? What are we going to totally. do with them? What's, totally. What are we doing for Good Friday? What's and the that, special you, thing we'll do at service? Yeah. And you get to the end of the Easter service. And as a pastor, you're just like, Wait, did Easter just happen? Right. Like, I'm tired. Did I <laughs> right. celebrate Easter? Right. Did and, I even and, remember? Yeah. Yeah. And and so all of you, not just pastors, but all of you out there, as you're preparing probably for family gatherings, or you're like Aubrey going, where can I get khaki pants that fit my sons? <laughs> or do we, you know, the Easter basket? That's always a weird thing for us as a pastor family. Like, we want to do the Easter basket, but I got to go to church early. Like, how do we do all of that? Uh, don't lose sight of of what Holy Week is all about. Yeah. And uh, we'll do that a lot this week, uh, especially leading up to Friday. We'll spend a lot of our week talking about the good news of Easter as uh, it is kind of Super Bowl for us Christians here uh, this week. Well, coming up next, Aubrey, as people know, I was gone all last week and there was that tragedy out of Nashville. And I want to just, <clears throat> I know you and Catherine did a great job talking about it, but I do want to revisit it and talk not only about the tragedy, but some of the reaction to the tragedy uh, that happened at the Covenant School uh, in Nashville. So we're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Good to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. The first day, or yesterday would have been the first day of Holy Week, but Holy Week is in full-fledged, and we hope that you do take some time to slow down Mm -hmm. uh, and consider what this week is. Obviously, go to your Good Friday service, your Easter services, but don't stop there, right? Read the story. Uh, You said your church puts out a devotional, but you could also find devotionals at YouVersion or other places. Yeah, right. Make sure to take time to do that this week. And Aubrey, there is a heaviness to Holy Week, also a victory to Holy Week, Um but I know I was gone last week, and you and Catherine, uh, grateful for Catherine McNeil sitting in all week, uh, discussed and wrestled with that horrific 
but yet all too normal school shooting that happened in Nashville uh, at that Presbyterian church, that Covenant Presbyterian church uh, school terrible. in which three nine-year-olds were killed and three adults were killed. Brian, you didn't hear this because uh, you were gone last week, but one of the adults that was killed is a good friend of my aunt's, aunts and uncles because they used to go mm. to that church. No Yeah, way. yeah. So they, they, you know, of course, their whole church has been praying and they sent us, you know, updates about it. But he was, a, I think, a 61-year-old grandpa working at the school just so his grandkids could go to school there. The just janitor, I watched a whole thing about him. He yeah. seemed like the greatest dude mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. All the kids loved him. Oh, I'm sorry. I did not yeah. hear that. that yeah. That, is, that personalizes it. Mm-hmm. That personalizes. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, there's there's any number of tra- – any. The loss of life is the tragedy, but there's a, you know, you start thinking about the pastor who's in charge there and his Ugh. daughter was killed. And Ugh. one of the other girls who was killed seemed to be trying to like pull the fire alarm or like oh. she was actually trying to help. So just, oh. just tragic. And and Awful. I think one thing we've done on this show is to try not to skate. There, there's things about this to talk about, right? Yeah. Whether it be guns or, you know, the weird way the media has talked about this because the shooter was transgender or all of these things. It's just there's a lot of weirdness to this. You and Catherine, and we'll circle back to it, talked about the senator who was like, kind of put his hands up and said, what can we do about it? You know, like there's a lot of weird things, but we can't allow these tragedies to become normal, even though, yeah. as I said earlier, they quite frankly are normal. Like they're like you and I, every time these happen, we talk about when I was a uh, senior in college, when Columbine happened, mm-hmm. I think that dominated the news for like three or four consecutive days. It must like, have, right? I remember thinking like that was kind of the, and that was the only thing to talk about, frankly, yeah. at the time. Like it was so horrific that what else right. were we going to do? And now it does feel like... uh School shootings happen with a normalcy that if you don't pause and dig into the stories of the beloved janitor or the pastor's kid or this, if you just think schools, you go, oh, man, that stinks. Mm -hmm. That's that's so sad. And then you move on to the next thing. And I think one thing you and I have tried to do every time these come along is say, we're not going to just move on. Like, we're going to say uh, these are horrific. And so I obviously didn't hear your guys's discussion but it's heavy right it's just it's just it's, it's awful it's it's, it's the so darkest it's one of the awful. darkest things of our country and i you know Islam macaulay posted something that Catherine and i did talk about where he he this was in the new york times he was kind of calling the nation to like okay what are we judging our success by is it this this mm. and this or is it like the how many caskets are little small caskets are we going to allow? How many parents weeping are we going to allow? And I've been really struck by that. Like it does seem like we're focusing on some of the wrong things to measure what it looks like to live in this great nation, America, when our, our children are now afraid to go to school. And mm. I, I don't know. It, it is heartbreaking. I think like you were saying too, that the, the the normalcy of it is so devastating because I saw so many people posting on Instagram, something you and I have talked about on the show that their first reaction was like, not another school shooting, move on. And then they were kind of convicted like, whoa, what is it that this is so normal that now I'm not even paying attention to it? And I mean, I, you know, I, I think the devastating, scary thing as a parent too, like, what happens when it's our kids and these are our kids. I'm not saying they're not, but like when it actually our kids. Yeah. You you know, 
I don't know that we can stand to have these like debates over kind of silly political issues anymore when like our children's lives are at stake. And I, I, this is what I don't understand. Like we, we stopped allowing, I know I've said this before and maybe there's not a direct uh, correlation, but we stopped allowing smoking in restaurants because it wasn't good for secondhand smokers. And if we're willing to do that in our country, like it does seem like the lives of our children has to be the thing that we are most concerned about. So what in the world are we going to do? Like, let's put money behind research, researching why this keeps happening. Like, let's do something to make some changes. At the end of the day, it is. It's just sad. It's just sad. Those precious families in Nashville, that whole city. Like, I, I do think we can't miss praying for them especially now like think about now moving into easter with that that no. grief oh yeah i i can't imagine and i've told you before on many times on this show if people listen i didn't grow up as a gun person i'm not a gun person yeah. i'm not and i have literally like very few opinions about guns like i didn't grow up around guns i didn't yeah. grow up in gun culture um but with that said, I don't understand the proclivity towards an AR-15 or these mm-hmm. types of things. Like, mm-hmm. I don't – I know there's political debates, but you and Catherine talked about this last week. The senator who basically said there's nothing we can do about we this. We can't do anything. Like, what – and then there was another – there was a pastor who got, who got kind of called out because he tweeted, like, well, we can't do anything about guns because the bad guys are still going to get guns. Well, that's that's now you could use that logic against any law and so, against abortion. I, like, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You can it's use it like against just, drugs, against anybody, yes. but especially that senator, I, I, who I believe is from Tennessee. I think so too. And I understand they got to play to their base. They got to get elected. Blah yeah. blah blah. But yeah. I also the what discourages me is it feels like we've gotten to the point of resignation. Eh, we can't do anything about it. Like, like, like there's nothing we can. And if you're like, wow, we can't do anything about school shootings and mass. Like, what in the world are we talking about? And I I do think once nothing really happened after Sandy Hook, that was kind of it. Like, yeah. once it was kindergartners. But I don't know what the answer is. But, man, was I discouraged to hear a a sitting, whether he was a state or a U.S. senator, I'm not sure, throw up his hands and go, honestly, keep praying, but there's nothing we can do politically to stop this. Yeah, it. I I, I think I just don't understand any, like, why are you even in politics if that's going to mm-hmm. be your stance? And I, I am trying to, oh, like, okay, trying to get inside of his head a little bit. Like, I appreciate mm-hmm. his call to prayer mm-hmm. and the Lord needing For to sure. be the one to mm-hmm. make transformational changes in people's hearts. And ultimately that leads to reform. So I, I think, yes, like pray and act. Um, I don't think it has to be one or the other. Like, I think part of our prayer can be like, but let's make change. Like let's bring God's kingdom to earth now. Yeah. And I also, I do come from a gun family. I come from gun culture in Oklahoma. Like my entire family's hunters um, that's part of their pastime. I've never personally been comfortable with guns. And so I just have not adapted to that culture at all, but that's where I grew up. Like if you went, I mean, I should send you a picture sometime. If you went to my parents' house, Brian, you might laugh hysterically because you walk in and there's, uh, many animals. I'll just say that <laughs> heads of many animals that decorate my parents' home and my parents' friend's home and my sister's home and my cousin's home. And that's just the culture that yes. I grew up in being from the South. And so I know that this sort of like 
ethical gun owners or people who feel like they have standards around guns, they feel like, don't take this precious thing away from me. How am I going to defend my family? How am I going to pursue my passions? I, I, I guess I can kind of get behind, I can get in the head of that uh, to some degree. And yet I just, I, this is where I go back to even what happened in COVID. At some point we have to give up our rights, especially as Christians to protect the most vulnerable. And if we're willing to do that for our kids in so many areas, like being pro-life, I don't understand why we're not willing to do it in this horrific violent school shooting yeah. situations. Yeah. yeah, like I said, I didn't grow up around guns and I don't feel I know I personally don't feel the passion that probably your parents do or yeah. other I it's not an issue that gets me riled up one way or the other. Yeah. And I know it's complicated and second amendment and all this, but I found it super discouraging to hear a senator go literally into a microphone there's nothing we can do. Mm. There's there's not an answer and you're going Whoa, as a parent who sends their kids to school every day, that's discouraging. That yeah, is, that it is. is. It's scary. Hard. We'll get into it a whole, completely another day about the media's reporting of this. Uh, I found it really alarmist at first until I saw some Twitter uh, handles, Aubrey, of people I really respect who just screenshotted things of, of the media basically blaming Christians for what happened at the school the other day. I think it would be worthy to talk about another day, but... Uh, just a tragedy. Um, it's just hard. It is. It yeah. is. It is really hard. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Common Good on this Monday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. He's back from I'm vacation. Back. I like having you back, Brian. It was fun to thank have you. Catherine, but I just like having you here. I appreciate that. But thank yeah. you to Catherine for, uh, yeah, for sitting she did in a, for the week. She did a fantastic job giving us her week last week. So that was very, very fun. Well, we've got some pieces of news, Brian, to share with you. The biggest we'll talk about later. I watched sports yesterday and I thought you would be very proud of me. I watched a whole basketball game and I actually was cheering and got really into it. But we'll come back to that. A whole basketball game. A whole basketball game. Okay. Before we talk about that, do you like to eat raw cookie dough? Um, do like if your I like wife and if your wife and kids are making it. cookies and they like I, I have the batter? Eat, I would rather eat the the cooked cookies, the baked cookies. My okay. wife, she hasn't done it recently. I remember early in our marriage, she loved just eating cookie dough. Like that totally. was a thing for her. Yeah. So I would. Here's the deal: if you put raw cookie dough in front of me and you said it. I would eat it, but if you gave me the choice, I probably wouldn't choose to have yeah. raw cookie dough. Yeah, as a kid, I remember making cookies with my mom or batter or whatever and like using the spatula and digging out what was in the mixing bowl and eating it like so good. And I, you know, there are those places where you can go and get like cookie dough and they don't use eggs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. anyway, here's why I'm telling you this. The CDC is reminding Americans don't even eat a small amount of raw cookie dough or cake batter. There's been a salmonella outbreak in 11 states, Brian. Would that stop you is the question. Would that be enough for you to go, I will not eat cookie dough put in front of me? I don't think it would stop me. I don't know if it would stop me either. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it would because I'd be like, a little amount's fine. That's what, you know, Is that's how I've done my whole life. Anybody? <laughs> right, right. Did it? No, it absolutely did. Okay, here's another piece of news I want to run by you. And it's not so much the news, but it, there's a piece of it that I'm like, am I an ageist? Okay. I, I don't know if you heard former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson's announced Sunday, the Hutchinson announced Sunday he'll run for a Republican presidential nomination in 2024. 
Uh, he says the former president, Donald Trump, should drop out of the race following his indictment uh, last week. Brian, I don't know the guy. I don't know his politics. I might really like him. He's 72 years old. Right. And I just had this minute where I'm like, maybe I'm an ageist. I don't want a 70-year-old president or up anymore. I... It's time for the 50-year-olds to, to get in the game. Think about what you're saying. Like, 50-year-olds are so super young. Uh, I do not think this is an ageist take. Uh, you don't? I think it's just weird that we keep electing old people. Right? It's just weird. Let me, let me speak to my old friends out there who might be listening. You might be in your mid-70s, older. We're offending you, you right now. Mid-70s, and I would just yeah. ask you this. Do you currently have ambitions to be the governor or the president? I don't know that I have the physical stamina to be president at 45, let alone 75. Uh, Seriously. So I do not understand the let's keep, you know, from and let we can go all over the aisles, right? We could go from yes. Biden to former President Trump to right. Lisa Hutchinson or whatever name to right. Nancy Pelosi to whoever. Right. I don't understand. I do value, you know, value your elders, this and that. But we do know Absolutely. as you're at certain ages, things happen. You start declining. Level, your your sharpness, all of the your stuff. capacity. So I, I, I do not think it's ages to go. Hey, could we just okay. maybe lower the age? We're not asking. I know this is not constitutionally possible, but we're not asking to put up a 25 year old. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I want life experience for sure. Maybe you know. 50. Maybe even 60. Maybe it's 62 and not 72. Maybe, maybe. Can we go a little lower than that? Can we go a little lower than that? Like, I'd like to be in the 50s. Pew Research actually says people want a president in their 50s. That's a new news that great. came out. Like, so. I, I, 50s feels great. Because I, that feels like you're in the prime of your life. Because you do know, have you ever heard this stat? That the majority of mega churches, and I forget what this survey was calling a mega church. It might have been over, it was, I think it was over 5,000 people. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so you end up getting a lot of them in the Bible Belt. That's what ends up skewing this a little bit. But do you know the average age of the lead pastor of a mega church in America was in their low 50s? Like, don't you always think of mega churches being like they're you know, this 28-year-old or 35-year-old, but they're actually in their low to mid-50s. And that speaks to us. Like, I would... Yeah. I think if I were searching for a church, I would feel very good if I walked into a church and there on uh, leading was somebody in their in their low to mid 50s. I'd feel good about I that. I would too. I'd feel solid about that. Yeah. They've lived a life. They might have raised kids. Wisdom. They've went, gone through hard things. Okay. All right, Brian. Big news. Two big pieces of news. Are you ready? Yes. One, I got tickets to the new Super Mario movie for my family later this week. Is that big so news? So that's... Okay. That's you big news. movie tickets is big news. <laughs> is this... Um, so I actually saw... I was watching the Today Show on vacation, and I didn't... They were teasing the interview, but I didn't... Pause. Like a 50-year-old suburban mom, you were watching the Today Show on vacation. Go yeah, ahead. Go oh, ahead. I can be present. Uh, so uh, I didn't stay long enough to watch the actual interview, but they were teasing an interview with Chris Pratt about the Super Mario Brothers. Right. Uh, is it a comedy? Is this a... It's definitely a comedy. It's animated. Oh, it's animated. And... 
Yeah, and Chris, uh, you know, CGI animated, whatever. It's just his voice. He's not in it. It's just his voice, oh, right? And okay. and he's doing a because my kids and I have been kind of like, is he doing an Italian Mario? But he's doing more of your neck of the woods, Mario. Like he's doing oh, like yeah. a Jersey, New York. You. you know, we're the Mario bro- Mario Brothers, yep. like yep. that kind of thing. It looks very funny. I hope it stands up to the hype because it looks pretty funny. I appreciate you mentioning that because when I moved to the Midwest, all of a sudden my saying Super Mario Brothers was got mocked <laughs> by everybody. Yeah, including, it's every time you say it now, I'm always like, okay, in, no, that's, that's how Brian says it. The person that I married has made fun of me of this for a very long time. My children... <laughs> Back when I was a youth pastor, I you know you'd set up video games and I'd pull out Super Mario Brothers and they'd be like Mario and I'm like okay enough, uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up, including the person that you married. I think is how you're supposed to say it. Alan, I think that's how you're to... All right, one more big piece of news, Brian. You'll be very excited about this. Yesterday, I watched the LSU Tigers okay. beat the Iowa Hawkeyes in the NCAA women's basketball tournament. You, you, and did you I, sit down going, I'm going to watch this, or did you well, stumble on it? No. I no. My small group was over last night. We we watched Ted Lasso right now as a small group. It's very Christian of us. But the game was on and so we turned it on to finish watching before, you know, uh before we watched Ted Lasso. And I mean I was hooked. I was yelling. I felt I channeled little my mom who I've sent you videos of before who just screams at the T V during games it was fun it was a fun it was a fun game to watch so can we more say you stumbled upon sports we can say that but i i just want to like honor it a little bit because it was such a unique experience you're uh you would be more correct to say i watched sports last <laughs> night when i watched ted lasso <laughs> that's that's probably accurate i pre-gamed with uh sports. but amazingly <laughs> uh the women's tournament the final four jackson and i i told you it was just my son and i and yeah. Not to sound super sexist, but my son and I have not sat down to watch many women's sports together, right? Like, okay. maybe the Women's okay. World Cup, but generally our daughters will be home. My, his sisters, my daughters will be home as well. We watched almost every minute of the Iowa-South Carolina uh, Final Four game on s- Friday night. And yeah. we watched most of, until it got kind of out of hand, we watched most of the Iowa-LSU game yesterday. Okay, like, look at that. First of all, Caitlin Clark from Iowa. Oh, man. She's unbelievable. She is unbelievable. In, uh, in many ways, see, you missed it. Friday's game was better because okay. her and Iowa, Iowa's a great team, but her being the best player in the world. Right. Against the undefeated national champion, South Carolina Gamecocks, who everybody that must have been fun. the whole thing. They were undefeated. Yeah. They'd won 40-plus in a row. Wow. And she put up an unbelievable game, beat them. And then yesterday's game was a little anticlimactic, although you, LSU was awesome. LSU. Yeah, LSU was sadly, awesome. Too yeah. much of the game became about the refs were awful. And also the taunting at the end of the game, and it became this whole Twitter thing. I know. That taunting at the end of the game was was uh, kind of a bummer. But all the Twitter talk about it. You're like, hey, people, like, just I didn't. That. I didn't go that far. I'm sorry, Brian. I watched it, but I didn't follow Twitter on it. Hey, coming up next, we are joined by a friend of mine, Faith Yuri Cho. She's the founder of the Honor Summit, an organization that centers Asian-American women in the mission of God. They have a big event coming up in Chicago. We're going to talk to her about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled today to be joined by a friend of mine, Faith Yuri Cho. She's the founder of the Honor Summit, a nonprofit organization that centers Asian American women in the mission of God. She also is the co-founder and co-pastor of Mosaic Covenant Church in Brian's hometown of New Jersey, alongside her husband, Pastor David Cho. Faith, thanks so much for being here with us today. It is a pleasure. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. We love having you. Okay, so Faith, we have a lot of questions for you, but let's just start generally. Tell us about the Honor Summit, why you started And uh, what's it all about? Uh, Because we believe the future of the church uh, requires the activation of Asian American women. And oftentimes Mm. she does not know where to go to be properly discipled in a contextually intellectual way. Um, Oftentimes she's wavering back and forth between the multi-ethnic church as well as the mono-ethnic church. Um, And many times not feeling like she belongs to either. And so we are putting Mm. together this conference for the mobilization of Asian American women to see a resurrection of hope. We believe that there is this cry of Hagar uh, amongst Asian American women where she feels like she's not Sarah. She's not the, Mm. she's not the woman of the promise. She's the other woman uh, with a burden to bear. And we want to encourage her to say, Hey, God hears you. God sees you. The theme of the conference is the God who sees. Um, and it's to address the cry of Hagar amongst Asian American women and to offer, uh, a space to her, to navigate her story and a space to heal and a space to connect. Mm. Yeah. Love that. Well, that's that's powerful. Faith, what does mobilization look like? And even as you look into the future and, and your dreams are realized, kind of paint that mm-hmm. picture. For yeah, me. I feel as though right now, Asian American women, they're kind of like a diaspora everywhere. You know, there's mm-hmm. this pocket, yeah. um, which is wonderful, but there's so much power in physically gathering, seeing each other face to face and also self-actualizing. Um, I feel like a lot of the challenge is the lack of language. Um, she feels mm-hmm. a lot. She sees a lot. She thinks a lot. But yet there isn't a common language. And so just to come together, um, to bring them, to call them from their diaspora, to, to call them from where they are at, so that we could come together and self-actualize. And um, yeah, and just to be as one in our narrative. Mm. Okay, so Faith, give us some details about the conference because you're coming to Chicago yes. this year. You have an incredible lineup yes. of speakers. So give us give us and our listeners yes, some details. Yes, we're so excited. We're going to be in the Yellow Box um, in Naperville, Illinois. Oh, nice. um, so we're basically hosted by a community Christian church. Um, on awesome. August 4th, we're going to be having a meet and greet offsite. So that part... Um, It's going to be a special time for us to just connect um, because the last thing we wanted was just a conference where we have just amazing people just shout out information. But we really wanted a space for her to speak and to share every member to be able to connect. And so that's the purpose of August 4th. And that's going to be offsite August 5th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. We're going to be at the Yellow Box. We have Simi John, who's Indian American. We have Jenny Wan Clayville. Aubrey, you know her. Right? I love yes. Jenny Wan Clayville. Yes. She's my girl. She's Chinese American. We have um, Joyce Koog Dalrymple. Um, 
who's going to be a panelist. And Myla Koo Kim, who's also Hmong American. She's a panelist. Um, Yeah. And then there's me. There's, you know, we're we're all coming (laughs) together. And what I love about this lineup is not just one kind of Asian American. You know, Mm. there's a variety of perspectives, a variety of cultures, yet under one larger culture. So I feel like there's going to be so much nuance in our conversation. Um, I feel like any woman that comes to this conference, they're going to feel at home. They're going to feel heard. Mm. They're going to feel understood. And also they're going to have hope thinking, all right, Mm. I'm not the only one. And it is possible to be activated and to really cultivate her Mm. imagination of what her faith can do in the future of the church. It's awesome. Faith, earlier you mentioned, you know, some people in the monolithic church, some in the multi-ethnic church. And what do you teach? What do you say, here's what's best? Or do you even go down that road as maybe women come to you and say, help me, help me kind of know how to best navigate? Right. I feel like the first part to that is language. Um, just as a toddler, you know how toddlers, they're, they have all these emotions, but they, yet they don't have the language for it. And so part of what is required for growing up is to say, hey, what this is, is you're sad or you have big feelings and that's overwhelmed. And mm-hmm. when you offer language, you empower them to grow in maturity. Right. And I feel like a lot of the times yeah. because Asian American women fall into so fall in between the cracks of so many different worlds, they just don't have language to how they feel like just the, even like the words microaggression is just a recent word, you know, and that yeah. I feel like even just having a word for that gives us language to be like, OK, now I understand what this feels like. And now I have the keys to navigate our our way through it the key is not Hmm. to create our own club or to exit from any community that's not the key we want to empower her to be able to thrive exactly where she is Mm. And I have a follow-up question because that was kind of what I was leading to. What is your, if you, I mean, I know you're a big dreamer. You're dreaming about these women that you've poured into and met and, and mutually built into one another. And now you're sending them. Like, what's your dream as they're going? Uh, I want her to be the most authentic version of herself wherever she mm. is. The way I could compare mm. it, oh, the only way, one of the few only ways I could compare it is I feel as though when I see Asian American women, I feel as though she's runs a maze before she actually runs her race. And that maze huh. is just her navigating the confusion of her identity, her place, what is God pleased with? And this deeply ties into how her faith is expressed. We want to break down that maze. We want to get rid of any sort of confusion so that the future of the church, which is also where my, the one that my daughters are going to be growing up in. I have, I have four children, three of them are girls, and I'm, I'm navigating a future where they don't have to run a maze, that they could grow up knowing exactly who they yeah. are, knowing that they could be confident in the authentic expression of their own faith to have an imagination of what their faith can actually do and actually run their race. And if that Mm. could be the case, it's for the betterment for any church community, whether it is a mono-ethnic community or a multi-ethnic community. There you go. Faith, remind people if they're interested where they can find all the information and where they can register for your event. They could go on www.thehonorsummit.com. 
and click on events and that's what's going to lead them into all the information for the conference they can also find us on instagram at the honor summit or my instagram which is Faith, I had to remember what is my name? Faith Yuri Cho. <laughs> Faith Yuri Cho. And um, that will just lead you to constantly uh, knowing about this conference. Amazing. Faith Yuri Cho is the founder of the Honor Summit, a nonprofit organization that centers Asian American women in the mission of God. They have this incredible event coming to the Yellow Box on August 5th, and there's some uh, pre gathering on August 4th as well. Be sure to check that out. Faith, thanks so much for being thanks here with for us having today. Me. It was a blast. Hey, happy Holy Week, everybody. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.